<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Uh, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 66 of The Complete Works Season 2, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the world according to Jeff Goldblum uh, is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblum maniac. Yeah, absolutely nailed that. Uh, Mike Mike DiCrucio. (laughs) Uh, How you doing today, Mike? Uh, I'm doing great based uh, solely off that wonderful intro that you thought up and have been doing the entire podcast run. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. And what's what's going to be weird about this is we're recording this episode before we're recording the episode that's going to come out before this one. Uh, so, <laughs> it's podcast not be, travel. so it's not going to be the seamless transition that you think it, <laughs> that you think it is. <laughs> but today, uh, to talk about today's movie, Mike, uh, we need to really kick things off by discussing the career of independent filmmaker Hal Hartley uh, and the unlikely trilogy of movies that he ended up making featuring the same characters in different situations. Were you familiar with Hal Hartley at all before we started talking about him on this podcast, Mike? Um, No. Well, no, because the first time you said directed (laughs) by Hal Hartley, like when we were doing the like, you know, Wikipedia pre pre game stuff that we do before we record episodes and stuff, I was like, ah, Hal Ashby. And then like, nope, wait, that's wrong. So, yeah. So no, the short, short answer. No. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, yeah, not Hal Ashby. Hal Hartley uh, was an independent filmmaker, part of the uh, early 90s boom of indie filmmakers, alongside the likes of Steven Soderbergh, Quentin Tarantino, Richard Linklater. Uh, he was a Long Island kid. So I feel like you should know him, Mike. I feel like uh, I feel I failed my, yeah. my, my hometown. <laughs> Your people uh, over in Long Island. Uh, yeah, but he attended college at SUNY Purchase, uh, where he studied filmmaking and pretty quickly ended up directing his first feature, which was called The Unbelievable Truth. And that premiered at the Sundance Film Festival in 1990. Uh, now, those other filmmakers I mentioned, Soderbergh, Tarantino, Linklater, uh, they all went on to have varying degrees of pretty significant mainstream success on bigger studio pictures. Hartley never really had that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Poor guy. Yeah, well, I, I mean, uh, looking at his filmography, I'm not even sure if that's something that he would have, like, wanted necessarily, you Fair. know? But the closest he got was a movie he made in 1997 called Henry Fool, which was a dark comedy, uh, a dark comedy drama about a garbage man named Simon Grimm who meets a novelist named Henry Fool who encourages him to become a poet while simultaneously becoming a larger part of Grimm's family, ultimately impregnating his sister, Faye. Uh, Now, Henry Fool remains probably the most well-known work of Hal Hartley's career and still represents his biggest commercial success. Do you want to take a guess at how much money Henry Fool made, Mike? A million dollars. Uh, 1.3 million. (laughs) You are very close there. Yeah, that's his biggest commercial success. So obviously pretty small scale. Uh, (laughs) And in the years since the release of this movie, uh, Hartley has revisited its characters across two more films, kind of in a manner similar to Richard Linklater's before series before sunrise, sunset and midnight. Uh, Each film ends on a note of ambiguity and the following one answers that note and picks up years later. Uh, So today we're talking about the second movie in the Henry fool series. I don't think there's really like an official like series name for these three movies. So I'm just Mm going to call them the Henry fool series. Uh, And I think truly this is, 
one of the wildest, most audacious sequels I've ever seen. Jeff Goldblum plays a major supporting role in this one, so we've got to talk about it. It's 2007's Faye Grimm. Ma? Yeah? I've been expelled. Faye, have you ever thought of moving to a different town? Agent Fulbright, CIA. We'd like to ask you some questions about your husband. Henry hasn't been in contact with you, has he? I hope I never see him again. You understand that Henry kept a diary, many volumes. Yeah, so? Was it treasonous? I just read the dirty parts. Say Henry's dead. And you believe them? They're the CIA, Simon. The government of the United States of America. God, get with it. Someone knows we have that book and they will kill to get it. You don't fly much, do you? I do often. It'll be over in no time. We think Faye's been rubbed into some kind of international espionage. They were gonna kill my son. Faye, trust me, we never want to go that far. Oh. I'm a soldier of God. Oh, well, that's a relief. Where is she? Where are the books? You know where Faye is, don't you? Grim, Faye, U.S. passport, or Hopper, Emily Sane. I'm looking for my husband. Where is he? What would terrorists want with Henry's notebooks? What would anybody want with Henry's notebooks? Faye's gone over to the other side. The other side of what? Why'd we have to overthrow the government? It was inappropriate to the needs of the American economy. Hey, I underestimated you. Imagine that. All right, so uh, to kick things off, to be clear about how this episode is going to go, I was able to watch Henry Fool before I watched Faye Grimm. I actually watched them both back to back, like right away, like a, like a double feature I programmed for myself. The reason being, because we we didn't know that this movie was a sequel until a couple of days ago. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, we were kind of like t- recording our podcast last week, kind of looking ahead at what's going on. And then we saw Faye Grimm. And then in the Wikipedia synopsis, I happened to see like in the first sentence, set seven years or whatever after the events of Henry Fool. And I was like, wait, what? This is. A- <laughs> this is so- <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, so I had to go back and look, and we were kind of debating, like, well, if we have the time, we'll watch Henry Fool, and then we'll watch Faye Grimm. But if not, you know, Goldblum's not in Henry Fool. I'm sure we'll be able to follow it along just fine without it. So we were like, if we can watch it, great, and if not, it's not that big of a deal. I was able to watch it, and I'm very glad I did, because I feel like I would understand absolutely zero of what is going on in Faye Grimm if I didn't watch it. Mike D., you didn't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, first, way to put me on blast uh, like that. (laughs) Uh, I'm not putting you on blast. I mean, you had important things to do this weekend. You watched all four Scream movies that obviously took precedent. Correct. Uh, <laughs> Honestly, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I so I, I put on Henry Fool and I made it about 20 minutes in before I was like doing the mental t- runtime math in my head. Yeah. And I was like, I don't have four hours or whatever it would be to watch both, you know, and change four hours and change. I've got Scream movies to watch now. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this was a day later. But so, yeah, I didn't have enough time. So I just stopped Henry Fool and put on Fagram and was like, it's going to be what it is, you know, and I, I just got. But I feel like I got just enough, a little bit of enough of Henry Fool to understand what the MacGuffin is in this movie. Because um, okay. otherwise, what? 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so we are going to spoil uh, Henry Fool, like the ending of Henry Fool in this podcast uh, specifically, which Mike hasn't seen. But since he's seen Fake Grim, he knows what happens after after yeah. Henry Fool. Uh, so at the end of Henry Fool, Henry is fleeing the country after killing a man in exchange for what appears to be sexual favors from an underage girl. Uh, that's, oh, wow. Twist. That's, yeah, that's how it goes in the movie. I mean, in the actual like when you watch it in the movie, he's not doing it for that reason, but it was like proposed to him. Uh, and then like that situation kind of snowballs into him being like, I have to flee the country now <laughs> basically, okay, okay. Uh, because of how, because of what it looks like. And plus his character went to jail in it earlier in his life for sleeping with an underage girl. Uh, so, you know, he has a history of that in this situation, though, he wasn't doing it for that reason. Uh, but he is fleeing the country. Uh, and Simon, now a famous poet, uh, gets into the airport posing as him. So Henry's like pretending to be Simon. He goes to the airport, gets in the plane. And then there's a moment where Henry looks to the plane and then looks back, and then it cuts to him running, but you can't tell in which direction. Uh, and so that's the ending of Henry Fool, and it's a really great ending. The music swells in this really incredible way, and the audience isn't sure whether Henry is heading off to the plane for freedom or back home to Faye and his child. Uh, so I don't think anybody would have expected a sequel to Henry Fool. So for years, the few people who saw it uh, had only that <clears throat> conclusion to go off of, and it's a really good ending, so that is fine. That works out. Uh, but Faye Grimm answers definitively that, yes, Henry did get on that plane after all, and uh, actually shows the fallout from everything that happened in the ending to that movie. Uh, it also completely upends the story it's telling. Uh, what was once a dark comedy drama about one poet rising in the ranks while his mentor flounders and sinks into a, into a depression, that becomes an incredibly complex spy thriller <laughs> uh, in this movie. Uh, and it is a, a wild time. And this puts Parker Posey's character, Faye, at the center. So she's a kind of side character in Henry Fool. Uh, and now she's the main character of this movie. You know, she's also uh, a main character in Mike Scream 3, which I watched, <laughs> <laughs> I watched 24 hours before I watched Faye Grimm. You know, so it's like you watch Henry Fool. You watch the first 20 minutes and you watch Scream 3. <laughs> Basically, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. You pretty much nailed it. Uh, so Jeff Goldblum is in this movie playing Agent Fulbright, a CIA agent who ropes Faye Grimm into an international espionage plot in order to search for Henry's confessions, which he wrote in the first movie. Uh, Parker Posey returns as Faye Grimm, as does James Urbaniak as Simon Grimm, who is uh, known for his role on Venture Brothers. Uh, he's one of the voices on that show. Oh. He's also on Review with Andy Daly. He's been, he's in a lot of indie movies too, a lot of Hal Hartley movies as well. Uh, Thomas J. Ryan plays Henry Fool. Uh, he's also in Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Liam Aiken plays Ned Grimm, who was uh, Klaus in A Series of Unfortunate Events, the movie. Okay. Um, so pretty cool. And uh, Chuck Montgomery returns as Angus Jones. And I think there are a few other minor ones that return from the first movie too, but those are kind of the main ones that show up. Also in the movie are Leo Fitzpatrick from The Wire as Carl Fogg, Goldblum's partner. Uh, Saffron Burroughs, who's on Netflix's You. Uh, she plays Juliet, uh, Faye's contact. Uh, she's also actually going to be later on on the same season of Law & Order Criminal Intent as Jeff Goldblum. Hey. So. We may see her again. Elena Lowenson from Schindler's List plays BB, a stewardess who also becomes involved with Henry, who helps Faye. Uh, Anatole Taubman from Quantum of Solace plays Jalal. Nikolai Kinski, the son of Klaus Kinski, plays uh, Amin. Mehdi Nabu from Munich as an Islamic cleric. Peter Benedict from the Netflix series Dark as Ralph Picard. And finally, uh, Sybil Kakeli, who played Shay on Game of Thrones, Tyrion's girlfriend. Uh, she appears as a concierge at the Istanbul Hotel. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Did you uh, you you had that look of recognition on your face, Mike? Did you actually recognize her? Uh, I in the feel movie? like 
No, I, once you said that, though, I was like, oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of clicked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. Uh, so Faye Grimm was written and directed by Hal Hartley and released on May 18th, 2007. It was actually uh, a day and date release, which these days you see happen all the time with this, you know, your Warner Brothers, HBO Max deals and mm-hmm. all this kind of stuff. But uh, back then, a little more uh, rare that that would happen. But uh, it was released in theaters May 18th, I believe released uh, on DVD and maybe even video on demand on May 22nd, so like four days later. This was about two years after Hal Hartley's previous film, The Girl from Monday, and four years before his next, which was called Meanwhile. Uh, and then the characters in this movie would be seen again in 2014's Ned Rifle, which follows uh, Ned, the son of uh, Henry Fool and Faye Grimm, who's played by Liam Aiken, the kid from Series Enforcement Events. Uh, so he's back in that movie too. And he's and he, he's also in Henry Fool as like a very young kid. It's like the same actor wow, in all three cool. movies. <clears throat> if you weren't seeing Faye Grimm on May 18th, 2007, which opened at number 46, by the way, at the box <laughs> office. We know uh, it goes down that far now. We, yes. <laughs> I feel like there was a movie we did recently that opened further down, and I forget what it was. Um... God, something was number 52, and that was the joke. Uh, it might have been like Minnie's first time. I think like it that, was, yeah. That, I feel like that might have been it. Uh, but yeah, this opened at number 46. Uh, maybe you were seeing the only new wide release this weekend. Do you want to take a guess at what it was, Mike? May 2000 what? May 2007. May 2007. It can't be Iron Man, because that's the year after that. Uh, that's correct. Um, I don't remember. What, ha- what happened in 2007? There was no uh, pop culture that year. <laughs> We collectively decided, you know what, we're good on pop culture. <laughs> yeah. let's, we, let's call it for a year and we'll come back to it later. Yeah, uh, yeah no, the only new wide release that weekend, uh, part of the summer of threequels, Shrek the Third opening at number one at the box office. Bunch. How could I possibly forget? <laughs> yeah, that was the thing. That was a summer of threequels. It was this and then Spider-Man 3, uh, which was number two at the box office this weekend. And then I believe the week after this was Pirates of the Caribbean 3. It was all like wow. back to back. But yeah, so Spider-Man 3 was number two. After that, you got 28 weeks later, uh, Georgia Rule with Jane Fonda and Lindsay Lohan, Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf, Fracture with Anthony Hopkins and Ryan Gosling, Delta Farce with Larry the Cable Guy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the Invisible with Justin Chatwin, Hot Fuzz coming in at number nine, and uh, Blades of Glory in the number 10 spot. Remember Blades of Glory? You know what, Mike? I would watch all those movies. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Maybe not Delta Farce. But... Maybe not Delta Farce. It's a little... <laughs> Your time is a little bit more valuable yeah. uh, than Delta Farce. Not only are the cable guy, Bill Engvall's in there, too. It's uh, half of the blue-collar guys, uh, wow. the blue-collar comedy guys. Remember when those specials aired in Comedy Central 24-7? <laughs> And revolutionize the world of comedy. <laughs> Here's your sign. Wow. Uh, yeah, that was a, there was a lot. Actually, I saw Larry the Cable Guy live once. On purpose? A, for a friend's birthday party. So I, I didn't like <laughs> buy the tickets myself. It was all right. It was a fun time. I mean, I'm we sure were like, fine. we were like 14, you know, it was like, yeah. yeah, Larry the Cable Guy, Mater himself. He's, he's here. Wow. But yes, that is your top 10 for this weekend of the box office. The IMDb plot synopsis for Faye Grimm reads, a 10 years later continuation of Hal Hartley's Henry Fool, where Faye Grimm, Parker Posey, is coerced by a CIA agent, Goldblum, to try and locate notebooks that belong to her fugitive ex-husband, Ryan. Published in them is information that could compromise the security of the U.S., causing Faye to first head to Paris to fetch them. So that's a pretty detailed plot synopsis, that I will is. say, yeah. uh, which is necessary for understanding the plot <laughs> yeah. of, of Faye Grimm. <clears throat> so, Mike, like we said, you watched 20 minutes of Henry Fool. <laughs> And uh, weren't able to watch the rest of it, which is unfortunate. But I think it's going to be really interesting to get your perspective on this. What did you think 
of Faye Grimm. Um, I wish I had watched the last 20 minutes of Henry Fool also. Like, just like when you read the first and last <laughs> chapter of a book and then try to take the test. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's kind of how that felt. But yeah, Faye Grimm overall, though, uh, is 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 wild, I guess I'll just say. It's, it's yeah. you know, it starts like kind of just right in the middle of a thing. It's, you know, I think if it's like Faye Grimm carrying a bag of groceries for the first 20 minutes, which is very funny, um, just everywhere in every scene. Uh, yeah. But like running down the street and she's like going into a, a church and like trying to pray and the priest knows her and like all this. Stuff, and I was like, uh, what did I miss? Um, yeah. you know? I, I believe that priest is also in the first movie. I, yeah, I kind of assumed. But yeah, so I was like, OK, we're just like getting into it. And like we're at a publisher's office and like, you know, we're going to go through all this stuff. But there's like right away we're like, bang, 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 hammering out plot details of or, or paying off stuff. It seems like from the first movie. And I'm just like. All right. Like, you know, it's not it's not incomprehensible. I just don't know what any of the impact of any of the stuff is going on. And then uh, Goldblum and CIA stuff and and Henry Fool is potentially an international operative. And I'm just like that guy with the suitcase and the notebooks. Like, that's all, <laughs> you know, like, I don't know what any of the st- any of the other stuff going on. So I got I got as far into Henry Fool where they like introduce the notebooks of Henry and and him encouraging Simon to write poems and like all that kind of stuff. So when the notebooks come up, I'm like, oh, OK, like I, I remember that thing, uh, but I didn't obviously know the full context of it. But overall, though, yeah, Fagrim is is fun. And there's a thing we talked about it in the the the, the Wikipedia pregame, whatever we do before that, before we record too. yeah, that they almost every shot is is Dutch angled. You know, the camera is tilted, except for apparently two, uh, which I'm sure we'll talk about. It's such a silly thing, but like it works really well where it's just like. Why am I sweating right now? Oh, the camera's <laughs> tilted. Uh, like, you know, it's just such a simple, very simple film technique that just somehow makes every scene the most tense thing. Some of it's like obviously comedic and shit when you touch a conversation that's about nothing. Uh, it's very funny. But right. like when there's Goldblum is, and, and his partner are like interrogating Faye in her kitchen about Henry Fool and what did you know? What was in the notebooks? Did you read them? Who had access? Like, you know, they're kind of interrogating her. And just every whoosh, whoosh, we're cutting back and forth between all these Dutch angled shots. It's it's tense. It works. Um, but yeah, so, so overall, like I said, Fagram is just wild and fun. It sort of it's I feel like Steven Soderbergh is a good connection because it kind of reminded me of like Logan Lucky, not in any kind of plot way, but just like these kind of like bumbling low life criminal people. Even not that anyone's necessarily criminal in Fagram, you know, the way they are in Logan Lucky. But these kind of like low life idiot people being thrust into this larger conspiracy thing and like it kind of just all works out <laughs> in right. some weird way um so yeah yeah i enjoyed figure yeah i uh, i'm glad to hear that because i really wasn't sure how this was going to play for you without having seen i i think if you hadn't watched the first 20 minutes of henry fool uh this conversation could be a lot <laughs> different uh, yeah i think if we if even if i hadn't watched the first 20 minutes but just being aware like if we had never read the wikipedia page and never discovered it was a sequel yeah, and we just are doing this. <laughs> I'd probably be like, this is garbage. Um, <laughs> but just having that kind of a little like a, even just the pre-knowledge that there is a, a movie before this that I'm missing is kind of like a little saving grace a little bit. Uh, right. And then plus the bon- bonus of 20 minutes. Um, it all worked out. 
Yeah, definitely. And I think that does reflect the reception that these movies had, because if you look at like their reception for Henry Fool, uh, it's generally, like I said, his most critically acclaimed movie. It's his most commercially successful, whatever that means for whatever, like his kind of movies, you know, it's, right. it made a little over a million dollars, but still, you know, pretty cool. But, you know, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score for that movie and it's, you know, pretty high up. It's like in the 80s or something like that. And then you look at the Rotten Tomatoes score for Faye Grimm and it's like 46. And honestly, I genuinely think a lot of people had not seen Henry Fool or were even like aware that this was a sequel to Henry Fool when they saw Faye Grimm and reviewed it uh, because Henry Fool is not the most mainstream thing, you know? Right. And there's no indication in this movie that this is a sequel. It just kind of picks up, right? Like there's, yeah. no, there's nothing in there where it's like previously on Henry Fool. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's nothing like that. Like it does do that, but it never indicates that it's from like another movie. This feel- And if you watch them back to back like I did, it's an entirely different experience uh, to watch. I can't imagine because uh, Henry Fool is is shot fairly traditionally and uh, it's really well directed. It's really well acted. It's really, really well written. But it is, again, this like, you know, dark comedy drama. It's about the rise of Simon Grimm as this poet who is like a bad poet, uh, but his stuff gets like kind of put out there on the Internet and it kind of creates like a sensation and he gets like involved. It gets with a publisher and suddenly he's like, you know, doing really well. Meanwhile, Henry Fool is also an aspiring poet who encouraged Simon as Simon becomes a famous poet. Henry uh, kind of falls deeper and deeper into obscurity, eventually uh, impregnating Simon's sister and just kind of living Simon's old life, essentially, as like sort of a garbage man, you know, and just hanging out at the bar and getting drunk and hanging out with like six year old kid. Uh, And like the last half hour of the movie is just that there's like a time jump between that, like that moment where Simon like leaves and, you know, Henry, like six years later, there's a kid there. Then the events of that movie happen where he ends up killing uh, Kevin Corrigan's character, which is it's really funny to watch Henry Fool now, especially because Kevin Corrigan's character is very much like a proto alt right dude. He's like he's like. Yeah, the entire movie, he's like stumping for this like political candidate, like this congressman who's like going to, you know, bring back America and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, at one point, somebody even says to him, like, he's not going to he's a fucking Nazi, you know, (laughs) like that kind of stuff. It's really interesting to watch it uh, just now as a result of that. But towards the end of the movie, uh, Kevin Corrigan's daughter uh, or stepdaughter, however, however it is, comes up to uh, Henry Fool and uh, asks him to kill her father, to kill Kevin Corrigan. And in exchange, you know, I'll give you a blowjob. And like her daughter, the daughter is like 13, 14. She's played by Christy Carlson Romano uh, oh. from Even Stevens, you know, yeah. kind of kind of before Even Stevens, I think, actually, is is this. But yeah, she's played by Christy Carlson Romano. And she says, I'll give you a blowjob. And he's like, you know, well, I'm not going to do that. Like, that's not, like Henry is not going to stoop to that level again because he's already spent time in jail for that right. exact thing uh, for a long time. That's what it's revealed kind of midway through the movie. Uh, and so but he does go and he kind of accidentally kills Kevin Corrigan. But then it's like looking like he did it to get the blowjob from Christy Carlson Romano. And so, well, now he has to flee the country. Uh, and that's the plot of Henry Fool. Uh, there's nothing in that movie about spies. Right. <laughs> there's, there's nothing in the movie about international espionage plots or anything like that. And so as soon as I finished Henry Fool, I, you know, waited like five minutes. I got up, went to the bathroom, came back, hit play on uh, Faye Grimm, and the camera is tilted and the score is constantly propulsive. And I'm just like, is this the same? Like, is this the same universe of characters yeah. that I was just watching? Like, what uh, the fuck? And I think what's fun about it is it is like, distinctly yes like all the characters kind of speak the same and it's interesting to see like the the way these characters have changed in the years since henry fool came out and where they have all gone in that time like simon's in jail now because of helping henry escape at the end of the movie and nobody knows where henry is and 
all that kind of stuff. Uh, and having the camera tilted, it, it almost like, yes, it's like to ratchet up the tension, but also it's like they're tilting the entire movie on its head, man. Whoa. Like <laughs> it's, it's a whole different thing. Uh, so, yeah, so I really liked Faye Grimm. Uh, you know, I, I, I do think watching Henry Fool is basically essential. <laughs> Yeah, I'm glad you were able to experience just a little bit of it. At least I hope you do go back and watch Henry Fool at some point uh, just to like understand like the depths of how crazy it is that this is the sequel to that movie. Uh, But watching the back to back is wild. And I can't wait to watch the third one, uh, which is called Ned Rifle when I get the chance. Like I'm I'm fully invested in the world of these characters now. I can't wait. You know, what we're going to have to do next year when it's finally safe to be humans. I'm going to come to Montana and the first thing we're going to do is triple feature <laughs> Henry Fool, Fagram, <laughs> Ned Rifle. I'm in. Yes, absolutely. That's going to be awesome. We'll uh, we'll live stream it for the podcast. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's going to be great. But yeah, but I mean, this movie takes like, you know, all the quick deadpan dialogue that you have in that first movie. Uh, and that's kind of a staple of Hal Hartley's work and transcribes it into a completely different genre. And the results are still very funny. But the movie makes a great job of making it feel like the stakes are just constantly escalating uh, and all that kind of stuff. I do think it does drag a little bit towards the end, you know, towards like the last half hour of the movie. Like, I think the reveal of Henry is great. Finally shows up. It's like, oh, my God, Henry Fool is here. Uh, But the movie does really slow down when he arrives. And I think the previous 90 minutes are just such a fun caper of like nonstop chases, double crosses, mystery solving and all that kind of stuff, which I was so engrossed in. And then it kind of slows down and like, okay, it's, it's taking itself a little more seriously now. And that's cool, but I'm not as into that part. (laughs) Yeah. Even the cover of the, like the poster or whatever is like Parker Posey running. And it's like, you know, Faye Grimm whoosh and like, you know, moving letter, like this kind of like what it looks like, you know, and it looks like it's playing into that, like run Lola run or whatever, one of those kind of things. And it's just so not that, which is hilarious. And yeah, it does. I think that's the, the like knock against this movie and Henry fool, even though I've only seen 20 minutes of it is that they're both two hours plus. So it's like, yeah, yeah, I definitely also felt that with fake room is where it's like, okay, I get it. You know, we can, we can do the thing. We can move forward a little bit, but it also, it also has this one, this weird device they do. And I wondered if this happens in Henry fool, which I don't know necessarily would it make sense, but like the action scenes are like, still photography in fake room. They're like montage right. of like, you know, frame by frame, you know, it's like, what is ha- What is this? Did they not? Yep. Were they not able to film stunts? So they did it this way. Like, I was so <laughs> interested in what that was. And if that technique at all is in Henry Fool. Uh, it's not. It is not in Henry Fool, uh, largely because there aren't really action scenes in Henry Fool. Yeah, know? I just didn't. Yeah, I was like, did somebody run down a street at some point and they do it this way? Because why are we doing it here? I don't It was weird. But all right. So Jeff Goldblum is in Faye Grimm. Uh, oh, yeah. And- yeah, we should talk about that. <laughs> but Jeff Goldblum is in Faye Grimm. This is the only one of the trilogy that Jeff Goldblum is featured in, uh, probably because uh, we get another Goldblum death in this uh, movie, That's right. uh, which is fun. And we'll talk about that later. Uh, but yeah, he is not in Henry Fool. Otherwise, we would have covered it by now. But uh, Jeff Goldblum plays CIA agent Fulbright, who kind of brings Faye Grimm into the mix with this uh, espionage thriller and all that kind of stuff. What did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this movie, Mike? What a devious bastard, you know, really? Um <laughs> Because his plot, his motives are so shadowy and we don't really know for a long time. And even I, don't, I can't even really remember. I, this is the thing with Figurum too. Like it kind of is like because I didn't quite know what was happening. <laughs> a lot of it is sort of like nebulous and I'm not really yeah. sure where things pay off and don't pay off and stuff. Do we ever like really get a solid this is why Fulbright is doing this 
or no? You know, I, I've tr- I tried to keep detailed notes about what was happening in the movie, and so we'll we'll probably run run that down like during the actual yeah running down of the movie scene by scene. Um, but the sense that I get is that you know Goldblum is working for the CIA, obviously, mm-hmm. uh, and he's bringing in Faye Grimm in order to retrieve these two books that are part of Henry's confessions that he wrote in the first movie, uh, right. which. Uh, as he's discovered in this movie, contain like multitudes of government secrets that the U.S. doesn't want to get out of there, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that dark comedy drama. <laughs> yes, yeah. In the first movie, this is like basically like his memoirs, his like right. his manifesto, and it's like this unreadable seven volume thing that Simon brings to his publisher after he's famous to try to get his publisher to uh, publish it, and the publisher's like, "I can't do this. This is like, <laughs> this is <laughs> yeah. unpublishable." Uh, which is why it's so crazy at the beginning of this movie when that same publisher is saying to Faye Grimm, "Like, are uh, Henry's manuscripts around or Henry's confessions around? Because we would like to publish it if." <laughs> If you right. get the chance, it'll, it'll uh, drum up some dollars, basically, is what he's saying. But um, back to Goldblum before we get lost in the plot stuff. Uh, right. I think he's great. A lot. I think there is a lot. And we'll get we'll talk about it. But yeah, he's he's great. I think he's a lot of fun. And, and him getting to be that like menacing. He knows more than you kind of deal um, is fun to get to see him do that. Like a little bit of villainous Goldblum stuff, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he fits in so well in the world of Hal Hartley, uh, yeah. you know, and in between these two movies, like there's so much very, like it's not just the plot that's complicated. All of the dialogue is very verbose and very quick uh, and very deadpan. Uh, and it's the kind of thing that Goldblum does really well. And so he is nailing it in this movie. I think he crushes it as the uh, the shady CIA operative who may or may not have his own agenda. And, uh, you know, it kind of reminded me actually of Reigns, uh, the TV series that uh, we just watched also that uh, we talked about last week on the podcast. Right, Mike? That's wink. right. Wink, wink. Uh, time, <laughs> podcast time travel. Time jump there. Uh, yeah, we talked about it last week, uh, but he seems to be kind of relishing the chance to just sink his teeth into these incredibly complex dialogue and uh, giving it kind of his own take on it. Uh, and so, yeah, I think he fits in really well in the world of Hal Hartley. And uh, I have not really seen any other Hal Hartley movies besides these two now. Uh, and I wish Goldblum was in more just so I had an excuse to be like, oh, hey, there's, there's more Goldblum coming up with uh, Hal Hartley. He fits in really well with these characters in this world. And I think he he's delivers Hal Hartley's dialogue so well. Yeah. And I was going to say that it feels it feels kind of weird that he's not like because we know that he like kind of does that, you know, like he'll kind of become a direct like part of a stable for a director to go sure. to. But he doesn't for for Hal Hartley. So yeah, I mean, just before this, he uh, had his first Wes Anderson movie, which he pops up in a few more of those. Of course, he had the Robert Altman movies back in the day, yeah. uh, and that kind of stuff. And uh, now he's made two Taika Waititi movies because he's in Thor three and Thor four, uh, <laughs> which was just delayed, by the way. So uh, that episode of the podcast will also be delayed. <laughs> just <laughs> throwing that out there for people. Uh, I think by like three months or something. You you won't even notice. Uh, but, uh, I saw so I saw a single tweet that was like guardians three is the only one that's only movie keeping its original date. Yes. And I was like, I don't, I already don't care. And I just, yeah. scroll. <laughs> like, I don't need to know which one's moved. Yeah. I think, uh, it's like everything after eternals except for Spider-Man because that's a Sony thing. Right. Um, but so like every, like Dr. Strange, black Panther, Thor, the Marvels, all that stuff is, it, they're, they're all pushed back by like two months, basically. Like they all took the slot that the next movie had right. <laughs> essentially. Uh, but I think it's mostly because they wanted to get Dr. Strange away from the Batman, uh, because they were both coming out in March and, uh, the trailer for the Batman just dropped and, uh, looks pretty good. Looks like yeah. it looks pretty good time. Uh, They're did scared. you watch the trailer, Mike? No. Okay. Yeah. Fair <laughs> enough. Well, you said, yeah, like as if you were in agreement with me that it looked I, pretty good. So. Oh no, I meant that it 
that it makes sense that Disney would move, that they were afraid is where yeah. I'm going with that. Yeah, in the battle between Batman and Doctor Strange, I feel like Batman wins that box office battle. <laughs> I think so, too, yeah. But yeah, all right. So what do you think? How do you think this role fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far, Mike? You know, it's pretty funny. Recently, we talked about a movie that I'm pretty sure when we came to the conclusion, I said that I can't wait till it falls into the Sleepy Hollow category of not existing. Yeah. Uh, and that's Man of the Year. <laughs> um <laughs> Which this kind of really fits in uh, with his character from that, where he's the kind of shadowy guy pulling the puppet strings in the background of the mega corporation or whatever in Man of the Year. And here he is doing it again as the CIA guy. You know, more involved. He's in more than 30 seconds of uh, (laughs) Fagram. What was the other one? This is a stretch because I don't think he is actually a government employee in Independence Day. But <laughs> here, okay. uh, he's, you know, he's rubbing elbows with the president and stuff and that. I don't know. That was the most like he, he brushes against uh, government officials in Independence Day. And yeah. here he is as a CIA guy in Invasion of the Body Snatchers also with the kind of like paranoia thriller thing that's like, mm. you know, kind of winked at and goofed on a little bit in Fagrim. So there's that. And then also, oh, yeah, one more. Um, Dallas 362, because it also has that weird freeze frame montage thing. <laughs> <laughs> Nice, a nice pull. It felt like thematically more the plot of the movies, kind of like that kind of like loose crime thing that got both got going on. Yeah, I think you you mentioned Body Snatchers, which that's also a movie that uses uh, Canton Angles to a really terrific effect. Oh, yeah. uh, There. I mean, there's that one pretty great shot where like Jeff Goldblum shows up and it's kind of tilted and you see like his presence in the mirror and it's distorted. Right. Because, yeah, all that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, that's a great one. I think Man of the Year also is one that I kind of mentioned also, but less for that reason that you said, uh, and more because it's. I think it's been interesting to see between this movie, Man of the Year, Spinning Boris, War Stories. Uh, I think it's been really interesting to see how many movies Goldblum appeared in that really reflected the Bush years uh, yeah. of America. Uh, and specifically, you know, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq and all that kind of stuff. And that is something that Fagrim really plays into uh, with its plot, where you discover that Henry Fool spent some time in Afghanistan in 1989 uh, and may have befriended uh, Jalal, who's now like one of the lead terrorists in the in whatever organization it is and all that kind of stuff. And so that's all a factor into this, but it's all playing into the kind of paranoia aspect of like, well, America's done a lot of really shady stuff in the past and Goldblum is trying to cover that all up. And there's a one moment where he like, mentions that Henry was instrumental in overthrowing the Chilean government for the American people and all that kind of, and you know, Parker Posey is like, why do we have to overthrow the government? And he's like, well, that was a, uh, it was bad for America's economy or something. Like he says something yeah. along those lines. <laughs> it's like, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it just makes it, it like, this is the kind of like, you know, it, it, like a lot of stuff in film is cyclical. And we had that in the seventies where there's a lot of paranoia thrillers uh, after uh, the Nixon administration and Watergate and everything like that. And you had that with body snatchers and you sort of had that again in the mid two thousands uh, with, the paranoia thriller is about the government and America's role in world affairs. Uh, and Goldblum pops up in a few of those movies, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a very good hashtag analysis moment. I'm proud of you. That was good. <laughs> I liked it. And it I also kind of, I was due for one. I was due for yeah, one of those. <laughs> you too, that was great. Um, and that kind of also tied into, you know, our Mike and Mike episode with Laura doing, talking about cold sweat and just like the kind of, not, not like directly, but the loose history of like dictatorships in South America and stuff in the way that, Henry Fool apparently helped overthrow Nicaragua also. And like all that stuff is part of everything with the CIA. They're trying to cover up. Right. It's like, huh? Connections. Interesting. 
Uh, yeah, so I wanted to mention those movies. Also wanted to mention that this movie is, I think, similar to something like Into the Night, uh, in which, yeah. uh, you know, Gold, it's a, Goldblum's not playing the main character in this movie. That's This is the Faye Grimm kind of taking over Goldblum's role in that movie. But in Into the Night, Goldblum is dropped into a conflict that he has seemingly no connection to uh, and is kind of just whisked around between a million different parties uh, all after the same thing. Uh, and that is the case with Faye Grimm in this movie with her character. Yeah. Remember that movie? Remember Into the Night? Was that good? I don't remember. Uh, it was decidedly okay. I think we said it was like basically there's some interesting scenes in it. There's some solid stuff in there. Like there's a scene with David Bowie and a knife fight and Abbott and Costello is playing in the background. That's right. right. Yeah. And that rules. That's great. But I think we talked about it as more of like it's interesting that this exists because it's like the one 80s John Landis movie that isn't considered like a beloved classic. Right. <laughs> yes. Uh, and for good reason, I think. I mean, it's also I think it's also the movie that he made right after the Twilight Zone stuff happened, too. Ooh, uh, that, we, we would have to talk. I, I'd have to listen back to the episode. We definitely talked about it there. Oh, I'm uh, sure. Yeah, like it was. It definitely came up. But I believe that was part of it, too. So, yeah, there was that. But yeah, every other movie Landis made in that period it was like Blues Brothers uh, coming to America. I think was John Landis, right? Mm-hmm. Trading places and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, Into the Night is the one that just like eh, people don't remember as much <laughs> these yeah. days anymore. I think it does have like a cult audience now specifically because it's the one that People don't remember as much. Yeah, now we <laughs> it kind of has that reversal. But uh, yeah, there you go. So yeah, Into the Night, kind of a similar movie to Faye Grimm uh, in that respect. But let's start running this movie down scene by scene, really start breaking it down because there's a lot to talk about uh, oh, with Faye Grimm and just getting through the plot of this movie. Uh, so like you said, Mike, the movie kind of opens sort of mid scene already. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, you're seeing Faye Grimm kind of going about her day. She's talking to a priest. Uh, I believe it's the priest from the first movie. Uh, And she's saying that she's afraid that Ned will turn out to be like his father, Henry. Uh, And then you get a scene where Ned is in trouble at school. And she goes and she meets the principal. Ned brought in this like viewfinder that has porn on it. Yeah, uh, it's like viewfinder and he the, she's not sure where he got it. And he kind of just picked it up in the mail. It's like, I don't know who got sent to the house. Uh, and it has like this orgy going on in the background. And you just like just as you look into it, there's a big orgy happening uh, and she's watching it. And he's like, oh, it's a pretty funny scene where he's like, oh, you got to like click this. And you got to like inst- like he's instructing his mom how to watch the viewfinder. <laughs> yeah. Before uh, before good. we know what it is as an audience. Right. She's like, right. Doing the hang. He's like, oh, you got to crank the thing. And she's like yes. cranking it. And then it's like a slight beat. And he's just like, it's an orgy. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yes, I know, Ned. <laughs> and this porn viewfinder, not just a throwaway thing. This is a key object. <laughs> Which is hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Especially when they show the priest later on at the end, towards the end of the movie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, absolutely. Uh, and so th- these, this first, like, 15, 20 minutes, a lot of it is catching you up on what has happened to these characters after the end of Henry Fool. And, Mike, since you had not seen Henry Fool or had seen the ending of Henry Fool, were you able to kind of keep up with what was going on here? Uh, yeah, I think, like I said, that I got just enough uh, of the like, OK, Simon is a writer. Henry Fool is this kind of like vagabond guy that just showed up and he's got these notebooks and he's encouraging Simon to write. And I'm not really sure. I think that was probably around as much as I got. Um, yeah. So then now it's like, whoosh, cut, cut to this movie. And she's going to Simon's publisher and he's in jail. And, and uh, they're talking about this the notebooks that Henry had that, uh, you know, were garbage and nobody wanted to publish them, but now it's a news story and it would get attention. So they want to sell it and they want to publish right. them and blah, 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 blah. So I was like, I, I didn't know the son until like, I didn't know that that happened until she's like, Oh, he's going to turn out like his father, Henry. And I was like, what? Like, <laughs> as far as I knew, he's just this weird guy living in the basement. I think, uh, right. like when he first shows up, but there's one very funny line. I think it's the publisher that says it when he calls Simon, the, uh, 
the garbage man poet from Woodside Queens, uh, which I was like, oh, that's fun. I know where that is. Um, But he just, yeah, just like this kind of this persona that like the media would conjure around somebody like Simon. They're like, oh, this working class hero guy that made it big in the poetry scene or whatever. But just the garbage man poet. It's a funny way to describe somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Uh, So, yeah, so Simon's in jail now because of the end of Henry Fool. He helped Henry escape. Meanwhile, Faye meets with Angus and uh, he confirms that the royalty checks are still coming. They're still getting, you know, royalty checks off of Simon's work. But the poetry business, not where it was a few years ago, basically. You know, the the interest in poetry is kind of dying down. It was a fad. And Simon is still, you know, a rock star poet and his name still has value. But it's definitely not as big of a deal as it once was. And now he's saying, well, listen, if you still have Henry's confessions, we would love to publish them, which he did not want to do in the first movie, uh, very pointedly. And there's a great scene in that movie where, you know, Simon's like kind of writing the success and he's trying to figure out where he's going to take his poems to get published. And he goes to this publisher uh, and Henry has asked Simon to say, like, listen, don't take the deal if they won't publish my thing. Uh, and Henry okay. and Simon has read Henry's confession and he thinks it's terrible. Uh, and then he brings it to the publisher and the publisher's like, I can't publish this. Like, I very much want it. And like, you know, he's increasing Simon's offer like so much. And Simon's like, like, he really wants to publish this. And Simon's like talking his offer down. He's like, you know, I, I will take half of what you're offering me if you publish this. And they, the publisher's like, no, we can't do it. We cannot <laughs> do it. Uh, and eventually Simon just agrees to, you know, take their original offer and Henry's book does not get published. Uh, so there's there's so much surrounding the publication of that book and like how much of a horrible slog that it, <laughs> that it is. It's like a seven volume thing. And uh, now it's suddenly like the hot commodity where they need to get it, not because they actually want to publish it, but because Angus, the publisher, actually is sort of aware that there is like something going on with the encryption of the book and CIA codes that are happening within it. It's wild. We'll get into that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I just love that that I think it's a it's a little bit later. Like, you know, there's kind of a lot of setup to get to when this happens. But like when the publisher gets shot and he's just immediately like they're trying to kill me over the notebooks. <laughs> yeah. <Like>, what? <laughs> Amazing. Incredible. Yes. Yeah. Again, such a huge jump from the first movie, which makes this just so so, so constantly surprising and fun. It's, it's you know, I, I wish more sequels would just completely upend what their original genre was. Yeah. You know? This is it's, it's like kind of the only reason to have a sequel, honestly. Right. <laughs> like, exactly. This completely changed the original. It's wonderful. Yeah. So uh, so a- after this conversation, uh, Angus, the publisher and Faye, they kind of set up a date. They're having like a little bit right. of a flirtation thing going on. They uh, kind of set up a dinner date going on. But then when Faye goes home, Jeff Goldblum's there. <laughs> She's still got the groceries at this point, I think. She's still got the groceries. Yeah, I think this is when she finally puts them down. But yeah, so the Goldblum and his partner, Fog, uh, are in her house when she arrives and uh, they're interrogating her about Henry. And she doesn't know anything. She hasn't seen him in years since he escaped. Uh, but they're asking her, like, was Henry a spy? And she's like, no, Henry wasn't a spy. He was just like some drunk. Like, he was just some guy. Uh, but there, you know, there's increasing evidence that Henry was a spy. And Goldblum tells her uh, that Henry is dead. Like she he, right. she tells her that he he's gone. He's dead. Uh, but right now they're looking for his confessions because they believe the confessions have CIA secrets uh, that's, you know, can't be revealed to the world. Yeah. And he tells her that he was killed in Berlin. And that's how they know he didn't get on the plane at the end of the first movie, which right. is like almost the dialogue. Because <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> I forget exactly what it is, but basically there she he asked, like, did you know if he got on uh, kind of thing? And he was found in Berlin instead of. Switzerland or wherever I forget. Where uh, Swiss, supposed to- Switzerland, because that's there. He was Simon was supposed to go get the Nobel Peace Prize uh, or not, not the Peace Prize, but like a Nobel Prize. He was supposed to get a Nobel Prize. 
Uh, and that's where he was off to. And instead, he used that flight to get uh, Henry to freedom. So, it's, you know, the beginning of the Mr. X from uh, Goldblum's character here, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So he so at this point, we think that Henry is dead. Uh, and then when Goldblum leaves, uh, we find out that uh, Ned has gotten expelled from school. Faye is like in the bathtub uh, and Ned just kind of like walks in and is, like says something. And she says, like, oh, what about school? And he's like, oh, they didn't call you. Uh, <laughs> I've been expelled. He says bean really weird. He does he says, say bean. Yeah, he, he's, it's, it's a couple of times he does it, too, throughout the movie. He's like, I've been expelled. <laughs> this is you the know. take they went with. OK, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I think it's a deliberate choice, Mike. I think, I, yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, he's been expelled. Uh, and so at, after this, Faye goes to visit Simon in jail. And uh, so now we're actually kind of seeing Simon for the first time. Uh, James Urbaniak, who is incredible in this movie, I think. He's he's really great. And, uh, you know, I think he was really good in Henry Fool, too. But I think he's playing his character so differently here. Uh, and, like, so much has changed for that character. Like, if you watch Henry Fool... Uh, and you only saw the first 20 minutes of Henry Fool, uh, where he is like this very quiet, like almost catatonic, <laughs> like garbage man guy who's like watching people have sex like in the dumpster behind like, you know, wherever. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Like he's just like this very like awkward dude. And suddenly he's like a master of spycraft. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's and it's it's almost played off like his cellmate taught him. Like, right. Because that's right. like the guy that was the decryption or encryption expert or something like that. Uh, that kind of connects the whole plot. And yeah, he's just like a stone cold mastermind in this. And it's really yeah. weird. <laughs> like he knows exactly what he needs to do. They're like working to decipher all the clues that are left behind and all that kind of stuff. It's it's really great to just see how that character has transformed and also to see his relationship with his publisher and how that has changed like since the first movie, too, which is pretty interesting. But yeah, so she visits Simon in jail and uh, she posits the idea that Goldblum put in her head that what if Henry had another accomplice at the airport? Uh, and Simon's like, well, I helped him at the airport. Uh, you know, it was me. And it's like, no, besides you, there were, what if there was somebody else? Because he didn't show up in Switzerland. He, they found him in Berlin uh, and all that. So they're, you know, trying to figure out the conspiracy behind it all. Uh, and so Faye leaves, but she drops off a package for Simon that Angus told her to give to him. Turns out that package is book six of Henry's confessions. Whoa. What a twist. Yes. yes. So Angus had part of Henry's confessions, uh, didn't tell Faye about it, but he believed that there was some kind of, you know, conspiracy surrounding them. So he wanted to give them to Simon to figure out what Simon thinks. Uh, and so he gives them to Simon, gets out of there, and then more stuff happens. <laughs> Eventually, Simon's released from prison. Yes, yeah. So at, at this point, you know, Goldblum's still kind of pressuring Faye to head over to Paris uh, to retrieve these two books uh, that are part that they think are part of Henry's confessions. Uh, that's like what they're trying to get her to do. But in order to do that, Faye negotiates Simon's release from Goldblum. So Simon gets released from prison. By the time he gets back home, Faye is already on a plane. And then and then, uh, you know, espionage. <laughs> and then espionage ensues. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, you find out a little bit more about Henry. You find out he was in Afghanistan in 1989, which uh, Ned, the son, confirms that. Uh, right. From a story that Henry told him as a kid uh, when he was like five. And this this is when Angus is shot by a mystery assassin, too. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So Ang- Angus is shot like out in the street and he goes to the hospital. And this is when Faye like, you know, travels out to Paris. And when Simon arrives home, Angus is there. And uh, Simon's like, should you be in a hospital? It's like, no, I'll be a sitting duck in a hospital. I know too much. I'm getting too close. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's like, what is ha- so far? I'm still like. And what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> you know. uh, and that's the case for most of the movie, I think. Uh, Honestly, yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, but I think it's very fun in that in that confusion, too. Like it's it, it very much feels like it's playing along with these like espionage spy thriller tropes and having a really good time doing them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like it's the thing I was sort of talking about 
uh, or was trying to articulate when I talked about Logan's Lucky or Logan Lucky, Logan's Lucky. What is that Logan movie? Lucky? Logan, Logan Lucky. Lucky. Joe Bang. Where, <laughs> where it's like these kind of bumbling idiots are like sort of good at this somehow, right? Like the yeah. like the publisher and Simon and everybody like are actually figuring cracking the code and decrypting the notebooks uh, and everything. And that I mean. I guess we'll talk about it with Faye and how successful that all is. But yeah, it's like kind of it's it's like having a good goof while also everything is Dutch angles. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, yeah. So as this is going on, you're also learning more about Henry's past and you're learning about some other stuff that he did back in the day. And uh, apparently in his confessions, which is detailed in like book six, that Angus gave to Simon, uh, Henry describes being in South America in the 70s and mentions Goldblum by name. A couple of times. Yeah, it's, he says Jeff Goldblum. It's really weird. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I saw this movie Death Wish, and there was one there was one guy I couldn't take my eye off of. <laughs> I think he's going to be big. <laughs> but yeah, but he mentions Goldblum's character by name a couple of times in the confessions, which is why Goldblum wants the confessions, I think, to cover his own ass right. uh, about all the kind of horrible secrets that are buried deep in there somewhere. Uh, so Faye goes to Paris to retrieve the volume. Simon goes home. Angus is there. Uh, and then there's a chapter in the movie, which every once in a while, like a title will just appear on the movie. Yes. Uh, and right now it says writing on the wall. And it's about uh, Simon and Angus trying to decipher the writing that's on the wall in the background of the porn scene that you see in the viewfinder. <laughs> right. <laughs> which uh, that's when they go and and show the priest. Uh, yes. I think it's Latin. Yes. Yeah, they show it to the priest, which they go to the donut shop from the first movie uh, to do that. The priest is oh. hanging out there. The priest, like, shocked face when he, uh, <laughs> when he they, sees it. Because they don't tell him ahead of time. Yeah, and he does the crank, and he, like, looks shocked. And then uh, Simon is just like, oh, yeah, it's an orgy. <laughs> it's like the same exact thing as with Ned in the mo- It's great. Wonderful. Yes. Yeah, so good. So showing it to the priest, they show it to a rabbi because they think it might be Hebrew. And he's like, it's not Hebrew. Uh, they finally show it to uh, somebody uh, of Islamic faith, I believe. Right. And they're trying to decipher it. And he's like, well, this isn't in my language, but it is Turkish. I recognize this. And he finally recognizes it. And it says uh, loosely translates to the honest man is always in trouble. Uh, which Simon recognizes as the very first line of Henry's confessions. My God. <laughs> yeah, um, I feel like describing this movie, I feel more and more like Charlie Day in that it's always sunny. Like, <laughs> Carol! Pepe <laughs> or, uh, Silva. Yeah. Yeah, Pepe Silva. Pepe Silva. Pepe Silva. <laughs> yeah, and I do love one more detail about the the view, the orgy viewfinder thing is that like every time they explain it to another person, like, oh, you have to look in the background behind the goat behind the two. Like every time yep. it's like a slightly more ridiculous detail. <laughs> Wonderful. So while that's all going on, Faye has landed in Paris and uh, she follows the instructions. She meets a guy on the airplane named Andre, which will come into play a little bit later. Uh, and then she goes into the airplane bathroom and uh, she uh, a phone rings and she picks up the phone. Uh, there's like a woman in the bathroom who screams when the phone rings and like runs out of there. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is pretty great. But the phone rings and Faye like, picks it up from like, behind a mirror and she answers it. And it's Juliet on the other line. And she's uh, kind of giving Faye the instructions of what she has to do for her mission. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's the like beginning of the bumbling lay person having to do uh, espionage stuff. Uh, yeah. And then there's another title on screen as she's like walking through her next task. Uh, and the title says her new coat has fake pockets, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which was very odd. I thought that was a very odd <laughs> strange transition (laughs) but you know what the new code did have fake pockets uh so they weren't incorrect um but uh as she's walking and going to what she's supposed to be doing which i believe is to go retrieve she has to go retrieve the two 
books that they think are the confessions. Uh, and there's like a, a bunch of sp- very specific instructions, like open it up to page 23 and there'll be a paragraph in blue with a third sentence and a quotation mark. And if it has that, then they are not the real documents or something <laughs> or like, right. you know, whatever kind of complicated thing it is. But I believe they actually are the real documents, right? Doesn't it? Doesn't it at some point become about a French translation of a German text created by the Spanish as a decoy, right? Like, doesn't it some yes. become something along those lines? Yeah, <laughs> I, can't I, really... I think they ultimately discover that uh, the confessions that Henry actually wrote are a fake of something else that doesn't actually exist. Uh, right. <laughs> right? Like, it's like all of it is nonsense. Essentially. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's all just air. Uh, that di- that maybe never even happened in the first place, uh, but but it is like detrimental to U.S. security or any other kind of security if it if it gets out, uh, which is wild. But yeah, so Faye's going on her mission and she has the two, uh, you know, the two books, the volumes. Um, but then she's taken hostage by Andre, the guy she met on the plane. He takes her and he's walking her towards his people. And then Juliet traces the phone. Simon calls her to tell her that Henry is alive now. Uh, so mm-hmm. yep, by the way, that. he's alive. Yeah, by the way, he's alive and she's confused. And, you know, it's this whole thing. And, you know, I think Parker Posey is so great in this movie. And uh, she really plays up the like fish out of water like you know she's just like a single mom who like was not supposed to be part of an espionage plot the other day yeah. uh, and is now part of it and uh she manages to like bring herself into it pretty well like all things considering <laughs> too yeah it's a lot like great. her character in scream three um. <laughs> <laughs> the two canonical parker posey films <laughs> Uh, have you uh, ever seen Scream 3? It's great. You, you know what? I The Scream 3 is the only one of the series that I have not seen. What? It might be my favorite one. You should watch the, all four of them in a that, single day. That's a super hot take, Mike. That is a <laughs> ridiculously hot take uh, <laughs> because every every other person that I've ever talked to who has seen Scream 3 says it's the worst one. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, if you watch all of them in a row, Scream 3 is the one. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> I recommend so, yeah. an edible beforehand. Okay, yeah, that that might help. But yeah, so she finds out Henry's alive. Andre tells her that he actually knows Goldblum as well uh, and tells Faye that her contact, Juliet, is an imposter. (laughs) (laughs) Juliet not working for the U.S. government. Actually, Juliet works for the Israeli Secret Service. And and, uh, Andre also reveals that his people are the ones that shot Angus earlier. Right, yes. Yes, so that's, but that's like the... 18th craziest thing that happens like within this, these next couple of minutes. Like it's and just, isn't who, who's, who's BB the stewardess, right? So BB is the stewardess. We'll get to BB in a second. We'll okay. get to that in a second. We're not there yet. Right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, his people are the ones that shot Angus. Andre is leading her outside to his people, but then Andre gets shot. <laughs> <laughs> he gets shot out in the street. Uh, and then when he gets shot, Juliet comes by and she takes Faye and she and she brings Faye to get the package from the safe. They just dropped the package off at. And yes. then and then she brings Faye into a stairwell and some guy comes out and points a gun. And then another guy points, comes out and points another gun at them. And then like another guy comes out and points <laughs> another gun. And everybody's like fighting against everybody else. And it's a big shootout in the stairwell. Uh, but it's all in still photos. It's all in still yeah. photography, like you said, Mike. Exactly. Then I was just like, what is happening? This is one of those like, you know, just kind of lean forward in your chair moments. You know, like, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah. Everybody is double and triple crossing everybody else within this scene. Uh, everybody. And it's incredible. 
But yeah, so there's this big shootout in the stairwell, but it's all shown in still photography. Uh, and then one of the guys leads her to the roof. They lead, they take Faye and lead her to the roof. Somebody else is closing in on them. Uh, I believe the CIA, like Goldblum and stuff, they're closing in. Uh, and then the guy jumps off the building, but Faye stays there. Uh, and yes. so it looks like the guy killed himself. It looks like he died. But then I think he pops up later in her hotel room. I'm pretty sure it's that same guy. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So that happens. Uh, and so the CIA kind of comes back in and Goldblum like kind of swoops in and saves Faye. But the CIA was also encroaching on Simon's house at the same time, like their house. And apparently they had like a gun up against Ned's head and <laughs> she finds out about it. And it's like the CIA was going to kill my son. And Goldblum's like, no, no, we would never let it go that far. And she slaps him. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this like five minutes of the movie. I'm like, <laughs> Yeah, they really they went hard. And then uh, Henry shows up <laughs> they had, exactly. a, had to give you a lot of action and stuff right before the movie uh, slams the brakes on. Yes, basically. Yeah. Well, we still have a lot more to go before Henry shows up. <laughs> Do we? Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot. So uh, Goldblum says that uh, Henry helped the CIA overthrow the Chilean government. Uh, because it was detrimental to the U.S. economy. He explains that to Faye. Uh, and, you know, Goldblum is so indignant about it, too. He's like, you know, this yeah. is something we were proud of to like 10 years ago. Time's changing. Though. Now we got to apologize to it in front of the U.N. or whatever like that. <laughs> like, he's just like so pissed about it, which is very funny. And then Goldblum finds out about Andre, about her kind of connection to Andre. And he thinks that uh, she may have defected to the other side. And so he orders the crew to detain her if she tries to go home. And this is when Faye meets Bibi. And Bibi uh, is also somebody who is in love with Henry Fool. And uh, she was apparently a stewardess on the plane that Henry was using to escape that Simon kind of snuck him onto. Uh, so she was a stewardess on the plane. She thought he was Simon Grimm and she has sex with him in the airplane bathroom. Uh, they sort of fall in love. She steals the confessions and sells them to like some people like on the black market who they who she thinks will you know, pay handsomely to have like Simon Grimm's secret writings or whatever. Right. Right. Uh, and she gets a lot of money for it. So she and Simon have escaped to Berlin together, but then she ditches him, becomes a dancer in Hamburg. And then she runs into Henry again. And then at this point, they actually like fall in love and become a couple for a while. Also, I think in the beginning, in the first interrogation scene in the kitchen with Goldblum and Parker Posey, BB comes up. He's like, have you ever heard the name BB? Whatever Ooh, yeah. her last name is like, and, and she's positioned as like, a, a renowned international terrorist, like is what, how they tell what they tell Parker Posey. And then she's just a stewardess. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> it's beginning the, now that the story and everything is unraveling. He was always shady. Yes. Probably. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so after after this, you find out like all this stuff about BB and Faye goes up to her hotel room. She calls Simon and you know, he picks up the phone and he, she just says, the world is a mess. And he turns to Ned's like, it's your mother. Uh, which, which was very funny. And uh, they're having a conversation, but then Faye's like, wait a minute, the phones might be tapped or we, we're like, <laughs> it's great. You know, we, we may not be alone in this. And Simon comes like, Hmm. And they, they start talking in code and the CIA is like listening. like, they're on to us. <laughs> it kind of cuts to the van outside the house. It's so good. Like, We've been made. Yeah. Uh, so they're, you know, talking in code and all that kind of stuff and trying to secretly say what they're trying to say to each other. And this is when uh, two wounded people show up in Faye's room, one of which I believe is the guy from the roof. Yeah. Uh, and he's in the bathroom. And then Juliet shows up and she goes to the bed and they don't know that the other one's there in the hotel room. But they're both like wounded. Faye is like kind of trying to play both sides here. Like, well, what exactly is going on with these two characters? <laughs> Yeah. And I think there's there's a scene like a pretty funny moment, too, where that guy goes back outside and lays on the fence again. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> like so, so that that Juliet thinks he's dead. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, and then we cut to uh, 10 hours later. 
uh, and it's Fulbright's Confession is the uh, the title on the screen. Uh, and so this is when uh, Goldblum reveals to Simon that he actually forged Henry's original confession. So his fakes are of a book that's never actually been written. So there is Henry does have his confessions that are like, you know, encrypted with all the CIA secrets and all that kind of stuff. But there's also this like fake set of confessions that Goldblum wrote <laughs> that are completely unrelated to uh, anything that Henry actually wrote, I believe is what's happening. Yeah. And that made me think of like protocols of the elders of Zion. Have you ever heard? It's like an anti-Semitic like thing that doesn't exist, but it's became that where it was like somebody wrote this in like the 1800s as like an anti-Semitic propaganda that then has spun out into people think that's an original text that like that that's actually right. a thing. And that's I don't it was like a weird thing to like connect to. But it's what they're describing. Goldblum is describing in this right. where like he created this fake thing that was then translated by a different country and translated again. And it's like now it's all back on on itself, folded in on itself. Uh, and people just think it's real now. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Uh, so a- after this, uh, or so as he's describing this, you get a flashback of uh, Afghanistan 1989, and uh, Goldblum and Andre are together. So they knew each other back in the day. Andre is the guy on the airplane who got shot. Yes, so <laughs> I, there's a lot of characters. I gotta remind people. But yeah, so Goldblum and Andre are like working together as like CIA operatives, uh, and they're working to find Jalal, uh, who is the kind of terrorist uh, leader of the terrorist organization they're looking for. Uh, and they think in that flashback that he might be working with Henry uh, or that Henry might be working with him. And they kind of comment on like the weird friendship that they've attained over the years uh, that Henry and Jalal have become friends. Uh, And so when they kind of flash back to the present, Goldblum says he believes that Faye has gone over to the other side and is supporting Jalal because of her love for Henry. And he's like, Faye's a spy? Like, what? (laughs) Yeah, everybody's just like very confused and taken aback by that. But that's what Goldblum sincerely believes, or at least what he says he believes to get them to do what he wants. Uh, But it turns out she or she actually flew to Istanbul at this point. Uh, Like they can't find her right now, but she flew to Istanbul with Bibi. Uh, So the two of them are together now. Uh, And Faye is like going around town. She's asking people, you know, kind of if they have seen Henry Uh, and she go and she has this like symbol that's been written down on like a hotel stationary thing. Uh, And she goes to the shop owner and she like shows it to him. It's like, does this symbol mean anything to you? And he says, no, this is not in any language I understand. And then it turns out it's upside down and it's the letters HF. (laughs) Yeah. It's on the side of the viewfinder upside down. Yes. Yeah. I think you're right. Which also there's a moment I wanted to highlight because it was very funny. Uh, I think it's in that scene we talked about when Juliet and the other guys show up back in the hotel room and they're talking, you know, face like like you said, shaking them down for information, kind of. And it's like popping up flashcards of the code words that Simon said over the phone as Faye tries to figure it out. And it's like Thanksgiving equals turkey divided by like and it's do it like her trying to parse it out. That's how she figures out to go to turkey. Yes. Um, it's like, I don't know. It's very funny and weird. And like you said, the, the title cards don't make sense sometimes. And then, and then we end up in turkey and she realizes the HF is up or it's upside down and it's just an HF. It's yep. initials. <laughs> it's just Henry Bull's initials, yeah. uh, which is great. Also want to give a quick shout out to like the like the little subplot going on with uh, Carl Goldblum's partner who thinks that uh, Faye has a crush on him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it's like there's because there's a moment like earlier on when uh, Goldblum and Carl first show up. And, uh, you know, Goldman's like, Carl, leave us for a minute. And he leaves and uh, Faye's like, uh, he likes me. Like, he, yeah, I think he likes me. Like, all that kind of stuff. You're just jealous or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then, like, later on, Carl's talking to Ned and he's like, you think your mom likes me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
and uh, Ned's like, yeah, yeah, maybe, you know, you know, I, and Carl's like, cause, they, cause I heard about this publisher, like a date with Angus and she's right. and he's like, oh, I mean, she, she's just after him for his money, you know? <laughs> yeah. But after this, yeah. So Faye has found a shop with a bunch of the porn viewfinders. Right. Uh, so there's a, a whole stack of them, like a whole bunch of them. And there's this blind shop owner. Uh, and this blind shop owner leads her to where she needs to be to meet with a man about Henry Fool. She's finally getting close to the answers that she seeks. And then we're finally introduced to Henry Fool. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, which is a great reveal. I think, you know, we're building up to like where Henry has been this whole time. And I think especially if you've seen the first movie, it is this like anticipation of like, man, when is Henry Fool going to show up and all that kind of stuff. And if you haven't seen the first movie, I'm not sure how much weight that <laughs> that reveal has. It's almost none. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it would be like uh, when you're watching Star Trek in the darkness and it's like, my name is Khan. And it's like, cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> these characters don't know who Khan is. Well, who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, I, I, that's it. I think this this movie is meant to be watched after watching Henry Fool. Uh, right. And so, yeah, the reveal of him uh, is really, really solid. And uh, this is when Jalal shows up as well. And he's the one going to meet Henry Fool, uh, who we finally see. And they have a very long conversation. Uh, about their friendship and about their relationship to the country. And uh, there's a very good line uh, where Jalal's like, they brand you a traitor. And Henry's like, uh, some of America's best citizens have been described thusly or whatever, something yeah. snarky like that, right? Yeah, and that, this is where it's like kind of, I think because I don't have the connection from the first movie, I'm just kind of like, okay, we can move on. You know, yes. <laughs> uh, that is totally fair. And again, Based on watching the first movie, I could never have in a million years predicted that this is where we will be taking this character. <laughs> OK, yeah. <laughs> uh, like it just is completely not what I thought a sequel to Henry Fool could possibly be. Uh, and it turns out it's exactly what I wanted. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> but yeah, so they have this conversation and uh, Jalal tells Henry that he's the one who brought Faye in to take him away. Essentially, like he can't have Henry kind of hang around anymore and uh, endangering his mission. Right. Right. Yeah. He's bringing he's got too much heat. Exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of that. So Jalal meets with Faye uh, and then instructs her to be at the boat at 6 p.m. Documents in hand with the confessions. But if she joins Henry, she will have to stay with Henry and live in exile. She will never be able to return back to her home country. Yeah. And she's kind of conflicted about it. She's conflicted, uh, you know, and it's clear that there's still like some feelings there left for Henry, uh, misguided as those may be. Uh, and she's like, well, I do have my son to think of back in the USA and all that kind of stuff. But she is conflicted about it. And she, it does seem like she may do it. But yeah, but she has to live with the fact that if she chooses to do that, she will live in exile for the rest of her life. And this is some, a decision she has to make in like the next couple of hours. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, at this point, Simon has shown up now. He's like followed Faye to uh, Istanbul. Uh, where she is. And uh, there's a note from Simon uh, that says in the hotel bar. And uh, that's where he meets BB. And so Simon and BB get together. BB uh, gives the books to Simon. Like he's the one who like packs these books into these bags. And then Goldblum shows up and finds BB in the hotel room. But Simon sneaks out with the books. He's like undetected, right? Yeah, because he's a super spy now. He's a super spy. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Again, not where I thought this character would go after uh, the first movie, but there it is. And so, yes, he sneaks out. Uh, And then, you know, Faye is like kind of they're in the process of getting their stuff together. Faye and Simon like know exactly where they need to be. Uh, And then Faye calls BB, who is in the hotel room with Goldblum, with Carl and with a couple of the other USA. I think Juliet's also there. 
uh, yeah. as well. And uh, basically everybody who's been like kind of chasing after them the entire movie <laughs> is all gathered together in the hotel room. It's like the CIA, uh, the Israeli Secret Service, like the British Secret Service. Like they're all there hanging mm-hmm. out uh, and all like holding BB hostage. And Faye calls up, says to BB, they're going to let you go. Uh, and he kind of gives her a code, like, go to where the sweet things are. And <laughs> I, lo- I love that moment where she's talking to BB and she's like, OK, do you understand? If you understand, don't say anything. Do you understand? <laughs> it's, just, <laughs> it's just like silent and it's like nobody's knowing what's happening. Uh, yeah, because yeah. she's not a super spy like Simon. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah. And then she puts the phone back on with Goldblum. And uh, she threatens to blow the place up if they don't let me yeah, go. Just immediately. I have the place rigged. Yes. Like, oh, it it's a bomb threat. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a bomb threat. And it'll explode <laughs> in 15 minutes. And then the power cuts out. So they have to take her threat seriously. Yeah, it's wonderful. Like, what a what a, what a, what a good goof, you know? Yeah. yeah, so the power cuts out. And they're like, OK, so they let BB leave. And uh, Faye hangs up her phone. And she tosses it into, like, the nearest bike uh, basket yeah. that's uh, going on. Goldblum and his crew, like, rush out of the hotel. Like, you know, the hotel doesn't blow up. But they rush out of there into a police car. And that police car blows up. <laughs> as soon as they get inside, Goldblum and Carl and Juliet, everybody is inside the car. And they all die in an explosion. <laughs> Yeah. What number of death is that? Eight uh, or something like that? Something like that. I do have it written down. Hold on one second while I look that up. Uh, yeah. So the on-screen Goldblum deaths so far include Invasion of the Body Snatchers at number one, Silverado with two, The Fly at three, Mr. Frost at four, Deep Cover at five, The Favor of the Watch and the Very Big Fish at six, uh, Chain of Fools at seven, and now Faye Grimm at uh, death number eight for death Goldblum. number eight. So Amazing. there you go. And yeah, unfortunately, Goldblum does not return to life in the third movie. <laughs> as far as I know, I've not seen Ned Rifle, but it's not on any of Goldblum's uh, filmography pages or anything like that. So uh, it seems like Goldblum is truly dead at the end of Fagrim, which is unfortunate, but it is a pretty incredible moment when they all run out to the police car and it just immediately <laughs> explodes. Yeah. yeah, wonderful. Yes, but it's not all good for our characters, Mike, because at this point, uh, Faye and BB are rushing towards each other and they're running and they're like, oh, BB, we made it. And then as soon as Faye and BB finally get together, BB is shot from the police <laughs> by the police from a distance and she dies. Yeah, it's so funny. And she has such like a prolonged like death, like, like kind of thing. <laughs> I don't know. Just everybody is dying. And it's yes. very funny. It's it's intense. It's it's a lot. So she dies. Uh, and then at this point, Simon has dropped the books off on the boat. So he's gone to the boat, dropped off the books with the, like the folders with the confessions in them and dropped them off there. Henry's like hiding out on the boat, like kind of in the corner, like under a blanket. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, and then Simon leaves and goes to pick Faye up and brings her out to the boat. But she's too late to reach it. The boat has already left. Uh, and you see Henry kind of standing on the boat from a distance and he's holding his confessions in his hands and he's like staring at Faye as she like breaks down crying and she's like, no. And then <laughs> cut to credits. The movie's over. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Does he throw them in the water? We don't know. Oh, man. Yeah. I uh, I mean, maybe we'll find out in the third movie, like in, uh, in Ned Rifle. <laughs> but that is Faye Grimm. What a wild time. What a wild movie this was. Uh, Truly bonkers. <laughs> There's just so much. I feel like I was just breathlessly uh, shouting out plot points in this movie for the last like 40 <laughs> minutes. 
<laughs> yeah, you just, you bullet pointed the entire movie somehow. Yes. Good there job, was, Mike. There was no time to talk about form or analysis or anything like that. We had to get through all the insane shit this this movie does. I think it really is a remarkable sequel. Like I think it's especially like watching it right after Henry Fool, like immediately. Uh, the the change in tones and genres is just such a a bold move. <laughs> And yeah. one that I really appreciated uh, watching Faye Grimm. I really want to would want to know what Ned Rifle is like. I don't think it is like a conspiracy thriller like this movie is. You know, I, I think it's probably closer in line with what Henry Fool is. But I do know the plot of that movie, which I'm not sure if I said it on the podcast already yet, uh, is that Ned Faye and Henry's son is the main character. And apparently it's about him going to kill Henry for ruining his mom's life at the end of Faye Grimm. What if it's just like a revenge Western? <laughs> I would be all about that. That sounds awesome. Apparently, Aubrey Plaza's in it. Oh, uh, neat. Who, I th- who I think would also be a really good fit into this the, into the world of these movies. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, I'm excited to uh, check that out eventually. And when I, when I do, I'll probably talk about it on uh, Michael Mike Go to the Movies just to throw it out there because it's I, it needs to be discussed. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I definitely I definitely would. You know, I don't know when, but I definitely feel like the way you watched it with just the immediate double feature back to back. Is like the ideal way to watch these two movies. So one day I'll watch them. All right. So that is Faye Grimm from 2007. And uh, now let's see what the people on the letterbox have to say, Mike, oh, uh, about this. I can't movie. wait. Yeah, there's uh, some divisive reactions uh, to this one. Uh, first off, it's a one and a half star review from our friend, the Poetic Critic. Uh, oh. Not a fan of this movie. Uh, I don't believe the Poetic Critic has seen Henry Fool just based on the letterbox activity. I was kind of looking around and didn't see a poem for that one. Uh, so I can only assume hasn't seen it, but the poetic critic did a couplet for Faye Grimm. So a pretty short one, which says a lousy trace from place to place. There is no thrill to this long chase. I also definitely understand that. Though. Yes. And, uh, like if I hadn't seen Henry fool and if, uh, Mike hadn't watched the first 20 minutes, uh, I feel like this could have been a very different conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I and mean, if you don't have the, you know, I guess connection or whatever to the characters, it, it does kind of just feel like, like, what is the point of any of this? Right. Uh, which is, you know, kind of like reflexively the point of the movie, I guess. But like, <laughs> yeah, in a, in a weird, like full circle kind of way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Here's a four star review from Kurt, which reads an absurd addition to the espionage genre from Hal Hartley. He takes the wonderful characters from Henry Fool, places them into a genre film and cranks the strangeness up to 11. At least 95 percent of shots in the whole film are Dutch angles to highlight the ridiculousness of everything. And we get treated to things like Faye having to stuff her vibrating phone down her underwear (laughs) and the deadpan weirdness of Jeff Goldblum. Also a satire on the geopolitical climate with every country trying to blackmail the other to get one thing. Henry's confessions from the first film, which everyone agreed were terrible, (laughs) but humorously, (laughs) they're now thought of as some sort of secret code with international secrets enclosed. The whole thing is ludicrous, but extremely funny and only gets a little bit held up in the final 30 minutes or so when it becomes a little too serious. I didn't know I needed a Henry full sequel, but I'm glad it exists. On to Ned Rifle. Did we um, so the Wikipedia says that that I think it's a quote from Hal Hartley, right, about uh, every shot except for two uh, in the movie are Dutch angled because they forgot to tilt the camera. Yeah, (laughs) which is is incredible. Yes, apparently. Yeah, every shot in the movie just about is a Dutch angle, except except exactly. You're right. There's apparently two shots in the movie, which I didn't notice. I have no idea which shots those are. I don't know if you noticed them uh, at all, Mike. There's one right towards the beginning, and I can't remember if it's either at the publisher's office or the church where I was like, huh, is that not Dutch? But I don't know if that's because I was thinking of it. Like, right. you know, like some of them aren't that overt. 
So I was like, huh, I wonder if this is it. But then I kind of forgot about it and didn't know, didn't notice any other that might be. So I wonder, I wonder which two shots it is. Yeah. They just forgot to tilt the camera, but had to leave the shot in there. <laughs> there it is. Here's a, a two star review from Richard Chandler, which reads, I've read enough good things about Hal Hartley to assume I must have picked a bad one to watch first, and so I'll try again soon. I'm sorry to report that Faye Grimm never rises above the level of cutesy bullshit. Ostensibly an offbeat espionage thriller, the script by Hartley is jammed with stilted patter rendered in a self-consciously flat effect. As such, the actors sometimes appear embarrassed to say the lines, excepting Jeff Goldblum, who alone seems unhindered by Hartley's hipster gestalt. Um, <laughs> The visual aesthetic provides no solace either. DP Sarah Colley's unvarying deployment of canted noir angles does not blend effectively with the widescreen format and cheap digital color palette. Instead, it feels lazily anachronistic, and it highlights the dearth of production design. It looks as though Hartley filmed in every location just as he found it. Uh, if all this weren't damning enough, this tepid tale of intrigue makes a blundering stab at tragedy in its concluding moments. The only thing tragic is the nearly two-hour runtime. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I guess uh, as a first film for <laughs> yeah, as a first foray into the Hartley oeuvre, uh, poor choice. Yes, yeah, it wouldn't be the one. I mean, if you're going to do one, Henry Fool would probably be the one to do. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Uh, here's a four star review from Patrick Gray, which reads in parentheses, watching anything with a complot. Whoa, this is just like Pinchon. <laughs> uh, which is a pretty good one. And then finally, here's a four star review from John, which reads Hartley does Rivette rewriting a season of 24. Fewer things are more harmonious to my ears than Goldblum spouting conspiratorial Hartleyisms. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, there it is. All right. So that is Faye Grimm from 2007. I think a fun surprise on the podcast. Not one that I was like really anticipating all that much, not having been super familiar uh, with the work of Hal Hartley. But I am glad that I watched Henry Fool first and uh, got the full experience out of this movie, which I should mention uh, the only reason I did. Uh, is because our friend Mike Emmons, uh, who was just on Mike Might Go to the Movies a couple weeks ago, uh, he recommended that I watch the first one first because uh, he said it would be really difficult to follow Faye Grimm if I didn't. And, <laughs> and I'm glad I took that advice. Yeah, you have a, uh, a movie guru there to bestow you movie advice. Exactly. Uh, good, good job, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any final thoughts on the movie, Mike, before I wrap this up? You know, for like I said, I only watched the first 20 minutes, and even that surprisingly was en- like we've been talking about is like enough to like, okay – be able to like ride the wave a little bit of whatever the fuck Fagram is doing. Um, yeah. So I guess, yeah, it's, I'm interested to go back and watch Henry, Henry fool all the way through uh, and, and just go right into Fagram. Uh, yes. Which, you know, two weeks ago I said, I never wanted to think about man of the year again. So like, you know, <laughs> we peaks and valleys. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. Thanks for listening so much to the, or actually I got to say first, where can we find you online this week, Mike? <laughs> Oh, yeah. You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that on our Kofi page, which is Kofi.com slash Mike and Mike Pods, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, indeed. You can find me online at uh, M Smith Film Blog on Twitter, Mike Smith Film on Letterboxd, and Radio Mike Sandwich on Instagram. Uh, thanks so much for listening to The Complete Works. I'm Mike Smith. That is Mike Decree Show. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, you can tweet at us at GoldbloomPod. You can find the rest of our podcast on Rapture Press alongside many other podcasts about comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Uh, our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at kylespodcastthemes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycutt or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And we want to thank our social media advisor, Daniel Clark, as well. Uh, join us on the next Complete Works. Jeff Goldblum stars in a mockumentary called Pittsburgh, in which he plays himself and he's stuck in Pittsburgh. Huh. How about that? Yeah. Fitting title, I would say. Yeah. Uh, and it's not just like a mockumentary like Incident at Loch Ness, where he's in like five seconds. Jeff Goldblum is the star 
of this movie, uh, as far as I know, according to Wikipedia, at least. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's so interesting, the breadth that Goldblum is in, you know, just yeah. like doing mockumentaries, doing cameos, playing himself. What, what a fun guy. Yeah, I mean, the, the movie that we're going to be talking about right after that one is going to be like a, a Holocaust survival drama from Paul Schrader. Oh, my uh, God. So, <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of different there's a lot of different tones that we're working with here. Uh, and I think <laughs> yeah. after that's probably like Law and Order or something, you know, <laughs> uh, we got a lot of different stuff that we're going to be working with uh, over the next few weeks, uh, which should make for a fun, varied podcast. Uh, but yes. uh, there you go. So next week, we're talking Pittsburgh. This week, I'm Mike. I might go to the movies. Uh, Johnny Grant, screenwriter of The Dare, is going to be back on the podcast to talk the British horror movie Mum and Dad, uh, which is an interesting watch. And we'll leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, you already listened to our episode. I'm sure you know what we think. Absolutely. All right. Thanks so much for listening, guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. <laughs> <laughs>